some researchers it's good, some says it's bad. So I wouldn't like rely solely on fasting for treating some serious diseases like cancer or, or tumors uh, because it can backfire. So it's, it's again like more of like a preventative tool, preventing yourself from getting sick in the first place. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seam Lund, and in this episode, I'm going to play you one of the workshops uh, that I had in my biohacking bootcamp with Lay Evin. So definitely check it out. It's an awesome episode, and if you want to learn more about the different topics that we discussed at the biohacking bootcamp, then you can become a Patreon of this podcast and my YouTube channel, and all the links are in the show notes. So yeah, we left off from the notion that autophagy isn't always good isn't always good and uh, too much of it can be definitely harmful so part of the reason why it can become damaging is that um, too much autophagy and too much fasting will lead to uh, mu- muscle loss eventually it makes sense you're fasting you're you're going to lose muscle eventually if you overdo it and uh, the trend is already indicating that as you get older your uh, muscle mass and strength are on the decline that uh, Muscle mass tends to peak early in life and adulthood and even after like your 30s and such your muscle mass tends to start to drop. Uh, Part of it has to do with like just being sedentary, not doing like anything that involves resistance training. Uh, But but part of it also has to do with the hormones, so to say that all the anabolic hormones of muscle growth, they also uh, become uh, less uh, significant as you get older. And even in your like very later life, you can be pretty pretty much experiencing uh, like a really low amounts of actual actual muscle mass, and that can have like a, quite a lot of negative side effects in terms of your metabolic flexibility and uh, just general longevity. Um, so yeah, this is for example that if you're like a 23 year old, then you don't experience like age-related muscle loss. This phenomenon is called sarcopenia. Uh, or age-related muscle loss, and uh, the older you get, the more sarcopenic your muscles tend to become. Uh, that the muscle tissue gets replaced with fat, <laughs> so that you don't even lose like the fat. You retain the fat and you swap the muscle tissue with the fat. Uh, so it's like the worst of both worlds in this sense. So this is like the what you would want to still maintain. Uh, the older you get, to have like this functional muscle that uh, enables you to metabolize calories as well as just uh, maintain uh, like proper healthy functioning because fat tissue itself is not like bad but you know too much fat is definitely harmful in terms of uh, spreading inflammation and such so you don't really need excess fat beyond a certain point and as you age you're losing your muscle tissue which uh, reduces your strength as well as just uh, functionality, you also begin to lose like your joint integrity, like your cartilage and tendons, these ligaments, those also begin to uh, deteriorate with age. And uh, that can just make it more more easy for you to break your bones, break a hip, and that can just actually take you down this downward spiral of hospitalization and more sedentarism. So a lot of the times, like for instance, when old people uh, 
do break a hip or something, then they go down this really rapid, they, they see this decline in their functionality and such they become your bed, they, they're hospitalized, they're, they're just staying in this a lot of time in bed and they're not moving around and that speeds up the process of aging and that spe speeds up the process of getting diabetes and speeds up the process of losing bone density and such. So, you know, if you stop moving, you kind of stop, stop, stop living as well, you start to die because you cut, there has to be a reason for your body to uh, stay alive and movement and staying in motion is like a really critical part of it. So that's why making sure that you maintain this uh, integrity uh, throughout your entire life is pretty uh, important, especially the older you get. So it's important to do it while you're young, but especially more so uh, when you're, uh, you're old. And also you uh, start to lose your cognitive faculties as well, like neurodegeneration uh, that can be also like a seen as a byproduct of uh, sedentary living. So movement and muscle mass helps helps the brain to uh, function better as well. And instead of like most of the world is aging like is in a dysfunctional way that they're always on this downwards slope uh, ever since they're maybe late late 30s. After that, they're pretty much finished. Like they start to experience midlife crisis. They they uh, start to feel when, back when? <laughs> in their like late 30s or 40s, some somewhere around that. That's like that's like. <laughs> Well, it's it's. <laughs> well, that's. I've had the midlife crisis. I've had mine. I'm just gonna die. Well, that's that's how the most of the world uh, functions. Like they they experience these things quite in the like middle part of the life. Forty isn't old. Like forty is still pretty young. Like it's fifty percent of your regular life lifespan, and that's where they start to get like, oh, I get this back pain, hip pain. My eyesight isn't what it used to be. Like. Uh, I'm, I'm not able to maintain my body weight, I'm getting fat, <laughs> and those sort of things. So that's like dysfunctional aging, like that's, that's not actually normal. Uh, what, it, what would, would be more preferable is uh, this thing called squaring the curve, uh, which is like this green dot on this graph that your high functionality throughout your entire life, and in your like later, late, literally the last years of your life, you've experienced this really sharp, and rapid descent into you die off really fast. That's a, that's a, that's a, but the, yeah, exactly. Like, it sounds horrible, but it's actually much better because you have, you have this much, much more better quality health span. Your health span, health span is longer and it's called like compressed morbidity that you, uh, the, the process of actual aging and the, and the side effects of that aging process are very compressed. They happen over like a short period of time. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, instead of suffering like, a little, little, you suffer boom. Yeah, exactly. Because I got like questions like, oh, do you want to live like 100 years? Do you, do you really want, I don't want, like, I get answers like this, but it's like, I, yeah. you know, I would like to have those good quality years, yeah. what I live. That's yeah. the reason why I do, not maybe because, that I want to be 120 years, but just it's, to have a very good span, lifespan thing. Yeah. yeah, to have a good quality of those years, what I'm having. Mm. Yeah, and you know, part of the idea that living to 100 is horrible for most, some people ha comes from the idea that yeah. 
every every 100 year old person you see is like this suffering yeah, yeah, and that yeah. but it doesn't have to be like that way like if you take yeah. care of yourself <laughs> it's going to be really interesting though in in like the next 20 30 years where we do start to see some of these kind of like yeah mm. 50, 50 year old dave asprey's and these guys that have been out there saying the whole you know doing the thing mm. supposedly and what however it goes and then we're going to actually see what they look like when they're yeah. 70 and 80 we'll see you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, going to be, I'm yeah, really excited yeah, about that. Pretty interesting. For many reasons, you know? So. Yeah, it's interesting. But uh, like the average lifespan in like the US is actually declining. Yeah. <laughs> that they're not, they're not living longer. They're actually living shorter because their health is so messed up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, some people can still like learn from it. Medication. The, the rest of the, America. yeah, like a lot of, you know, the, the people, although the, average lifespan in the western world is pretty high compared to like the last century it's not like it's not yeah like it's not quality years and part of the reason has to do with the medications yeah. and also like improved uh, healthcare and the improved improved uh, water systems and improved nutrition so uh, they're kind of they're being kept alive by the healthcare by system the healthcare, yeah. instead of just living better and uh, longer and it's interesting too because like we talk about this population explosion in the world but actually the um certain countries like a country like russia the population is declining yeah that's mm. primary but it's um, a lot of reasons behind that like yeah it's obviously i think i think russia is still with the most heroin in the world or something mm. like there's a huge drug epidemic yeah. and things like that yeah. yeah well all the all the Near Siberia, whatever there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you call it? The I've gone completely brain dead now with the poppy seed. What's it called? The heroin. Yeah, what's the opioid? Oh, opium. Right all on the Kazakhstan and all these. I mean, it's just like war and it's a major And again, you know, you probably start to get an idea of how my brain works and conspiracies and stuff. But um. It just so happens that uh, the the heroin industry in America improved or got more like mm. it was more rampant as they went into certain wars in like, oh, Afghanistan yeah, and so on. Yeah, they're shipping that stuff over, man. Yeah. So you know what I mean. So it's like all it's all it's all weird. It's all twisted, twisted world. But true, true that. So yeah, this is this is probably the biggest reason why resistance training is like the best exercise. For not only like fat loss but also just uh, anti-aging and longevity so it's going to essentially alleviate this this trend of uh, declining uh, muscle mass that you experience the, the 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 biggest function of resistance training is it's going to stimulate muscle hypertrophy and uh, muscle growth so uh yeah older people especially would benefit a lot from doing this this sort of uh, resistance training and it's it's protecting against these sarcopenia the age real muscle loss and uh yeah the ways you go about it is that number one you should you should keep doing resistance training at least like three times or two times a week is the minimum and upwards to like five times a week or something and uh yeah you can structure it in many ways uh but then you, you can do it like two two days a week uh, for one hour, that will be like the minimum effective dose, in my opinion. And uh, you can even do it like every day, but then your workouts have to be somewhat shorter in order for you to recover yeah, from it. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I myself, I prefer to do it more frequently and more consistently uh, as a way of just 
I like to do it and I think it's also like frequencies are pretty important in a sense you don't have to like really crush yourself at one time you can do it less intensely but you do it more frequently and I would also add to that um, that there's there's this kind of I don't want to say epidemic but there's a lot of uh, especially younger males uh, that go to the gym and they're just lifting to put muscle mass on Mm. but then I I would ask like what's the purpose of that actually you know what I mean? Because mm. of really? course it's, it goes into Instagram world and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it's like, actually, what's the purpose of that? Like, what can you do with that? What can you actually do with that? Mm. You know? So, like, I, I, I would say what I'm trying to suggest here is that, like, trying to at least maybe one or two of those training sessions per week is, is some sort of dynamic right. exercise. You know, the rings, like, you see, yeah. you see him do his, like, his pull-ups and his... Um, muscle ups and things like that, these kind of dynamic exercises where you're actually kind of also training the sort of uh, nerves and muscle fibers and tendons and all this sort of stuff. So you can actually do stuff with it too. Right, right. Not just, you know, like think about, like think about a deadlift. It's the most, the best bang for your buck exercise according to whatever. (laughs) But think about what that is. Like like there's no situation in life where you would ever lift something that heavy, heavy. It's, yeah. it's an exercise designed just for lifting a bar of weights. Like if you think about a huge boulder or something, you're never going to pick it up like that. Yeah. Because you have to either, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like this. So it's it's just a gym exercise. Yeah. It is in my True. opinion, and there's a few there's a few others that believe that too that research that and stuff. So I'm just saying that it's good to it's good to think of, evaluate what kind of stuff you're doing so that you can actually do something with it. It's yeah. fun to be able to run fast around yeah, and yeah. do you know do these kind of things too, not just sort of be walking around carrying <laughs> the fake pineapples under the arms. Sometimes just full of water because it's just uh, a sort of plastic effort. Yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. Yeah, functional movement. But any form of resistance training is still good yeah. for like the yeah, meta- meta- yeah, metabolic yeah, benefits yeah. <laughs> on the oh, metabolic most, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most cases. If you, all you need to do is uh, do something to your disc in your back and then, you know what I mean? With the deadlift or something, it's like, then you're like, I wish I didn't do it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Team anyone? I would take a little bit. Uh, secondly, you also need to eat a sufficient amount of protein to uh, maintain muscle and build it. So the the recommended daily allowance for protein is quite low compared to what you would actually need. Uh, so the recommended daily allowance is like 0.4 grams per pound of body weight, which is like uh, a, a half gram per kilogram. And uh, yeah, it's 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 only that that number is only for like just surviving and not withering away. So so it's not really optimal for people who are doing some form of resistance training. So that's why the research kind of indicates that higher protein intakes tend to be better because higher protein allows you to maintain more muscle mass and as well as to build build it. Wait, how much protein then? Uh, you it would be somewhere at minimum would be like zero point six. Uh, okay, we can we can convert it over to kilograms. So that would be like a 1.2 grams per kilogram, uh, and that's the minimum. And upward, upward, that would be like two grams per kilogram with mm-hmm. the upper limits. So I would say. Because your body can only actually absorb so much 
some crazy amounts. Yeah. Uh, like it's like anywhere between like isn't it like twelve to thirty something percent, thirty five percent or something? I think it was mm. at any one time. It, well, it's not like the absorption. You can absorb all the protein that you eat, even if it's like several hundred grams. But how it's going to affect the muscle protein synthesis is different. So the 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 ceiling for muscle protein synthesis is is thirty gra thirty to forty grams mm. in one sitting. And then get the amino acids we distribute it for other functions. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you're gonna waste it away. It's not just gonna. It's just not going to contribute additional benefits for muscle growth. You would have. You would have to. Fat, right? Yeah. It's not used protein. It might turn into fat. Uh, okay. Not really. It would be just your body would just store it uh, and use it based upon its calorie needs. Like if it's a, if it's a calorie surplus. If it's going to tip you over into a calorie surplus, then it yeah, will be stored as fat. Mm -hmm. But if we're still at a calorie deficit or around your maintenance, then it wouldn't be it wouldn't be stored as fat. It would just uh, stay it stays around in your system. The amino acids like there's a certain pool of amino acids that your body pulls from that is going to be used during the fast state and such. So it's not like you only absorb forty grams of protein in, in one sitting and the rest of it gets wasted away or something. It's just the body slows down the absorption rate of it and the digestion also slows down. So it's going to be released over the course of several hours afterwards. Uh, but yeah, like the idea that you need to be eating like very frequent meals is for the sake of overcoming this uh, limit that your body has of this 40 grams of protein in one sitting. Mm -hmm. So you only overcome it if you have like several meals all the time. But uh, whether or not you need it depends on your goals. Like if you really want to be like a massive pineapple guy <laughs> then then you then you do need to have like several meals all the time just to keep your anabolic signal alive yeah yeah it's a cartoon but yeah essentially yeah, like uh, most people don't really have to worry about the meal frequency as long as the daily protein is still sufficient do you track your what you're eating on any app to see like how many proteins how many what you're eating I, I do use like a chronometer, which is a good app. So it's gonna list out the macros as well as the micros from the foods, like the vitamins, minerals, and sort of thing, and sees what, what, how much do you need, etc. So I, I don't, I don't like weigh, I don't, you know, measure it precisely, but yeah. I, I do like pay attention to just subconsciously. Okay, this is approximately that, and and such. So I'll, I'll just get some feedback from the app. But it's not like 100% accurate. Yeah. If I were to try to, and, and the reason I'm doing it because I I've done it in the past, so I I know subconsciously, you know the that, that kind of yeah that, that, that piece works. of salmon is yeah yeah six grams of protein, so you know what I mean you know, use it with the eyes yeah so it's 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 a good to initially go through some period of that as to just teach yourself this yeah. information, yeah. and later words you don't really have to worry about it that much you, you kind of already know yeah. about, about that, that pickle juice has got like <laughs> sodium in it so. yeah <laughs> i came across a talk or something yeah. you talk about like how too much protein kind of like activate mTOR and stuff so yeah we're going to talk about it afterwards yeah so, yeah, so mTOR yeah. is the uh, anabolic switch mm. and protein flips that switch on as well as insulin and other other factors but yeah whether or not it's good or bad, we're going to talk about it shortly later. Yeah, and also on the protein topic, there's also like fast protein and slow yeah. protein. Yeah, there are certain, uh, yeah, like the absorption rates. Yeah, like the book, the book, 
yeah, the, the book has like charts as well of how much mTOR does a specific food stimulate. Uh, like, you know, I can show you, for example, in this, uh, some charts. For example, <laughs> for example, yeah, like. <laughs> I felt like I knew you from your introduction. Now it's like, uh, well, it's <laughs> yeah, like for example, foods that stimulate mTOR a lot are like eggs and protein powders and uh, carbs and that sort of things and meat and uh, fish and those things are higher in mTOR compared to something like vegetables which are lower in mTOR because vegetables don't have that much protein and they are actually some other compounds so yeah the, the, the absorption rate is also uh, it's a factor uh, but it's not like that important all the time like the idea that you need to slam down a protein shake after a workout uh, it's not like that that impor important. that important yeah it's like micromanaging Unless you want to go on like Olympia stage and do a bodybuilding show or something, <laughs> then it is important. <laughs> if you're going for one, find out two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the rest of the points of how do you maintain this muscle mass is to sleep, uh, even saunas and stress management help you to kind of protect against that, like the heat proteins and the autophagy. Autophagy actually protects against the muscle loss if you do it like in the proper amounts and the right dose. Now, what kind of exercises are best for resistance training? Uh, the compound lifts, compound exercises are generally better and more effective, like bigger bank for a buck, like the squats, bench press, deadlift, pull-ups, overhead press, barbell rows. They're like multi-joint exercises. Uh, they they t tax your entire body in some, in some shape and they involve several joints and uh, muscle groups. So these are like more effective in terms of the final results for building muscle as well as increasing metabolic rate and such. So most people most people tend to just do like a bicep curl or like a tricep push down or like, like a calf raising machine. But those are very isolated exercises. They are very small muscle groups compared to something like a squat, which targets your entire glutes, your quads, <laughs> hamstrings, the back even, and even like the arms a little bit. So it's like a full body exercise. It's crazy how many people spend Yeah, like this this isn't your you know hit cardio class spin spin class where you're literally screaming at the bike and uh, running away from some lions or something it's, uh, it's a completely different type of uh, training method but it's more effective like it's less stressful but it's giving you better results so would, would you use to your max weight and low reps or would you do it like a high intensity or, or uh, it just, it just depends on yeah like usually the sufficient stimulus can be achieved with like 70 to 80% of your like maximum and uh, you do it like there are several rep schemes and that sort of thing. Time under tension is yeah. also another way to do it. 
the amount of time that you would actually read. You can read in the book. I give like a the the hierarchy uh, or the triad of these uh, training principles, like intensity, frequency, and volume. So if you're doing it like if you're training every day, this is high frequency. Then you can't. You have to either scale down the volume, which is the total amount of exercises, exercises or scale down the intensity, which is the you know how hard you push. So you, you can only choose two. You could you can't have all three. You can't do every day balls out, <laughs> hard to the wall. You know that sort of thing. You have to know how do you manage these things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you have to kind of choose the two if you if you if you do it like. <laughs> if you do it very intensely, then you can't do it that frequently, or you would have to, or you have to scale down the volume. So, you can even do it like yeah, one certain uh, met methods are like uh, like one rep max every day, but you do it only like one lift or one exercise, okay. like Olympic Olympic weightlifters. Or gymnasts, they train these movements because they want to entrain their nervous system and learn the skill of these movements. So they do it every day and they do it very intensely, but they only do it like one exercise or something. But so they're like a different way of structuring it. But the essentially the idea is that resistance training itself in, in any shape or form is, is good. And like we mentioned earlier, you can even do like the blood flow restriction uh, for the older people, for example, and you don't even have to use like these heavy weights. Or you don't have to do like do, these do, if you're younger do you still get them I'm not gonna have young but um, do you, do you get, still get them benefits from the blood flow restriction yeah yeah like, I, I i use it myself as well oh, like okay, okay. yeah yeah uh, i use it quite often and it's good for just promoting blood flow and recovery even and that sort of thing and you don't have to use like the heavier yeah, weights that often it's like mercola mercola is just he, he talks a lot a lot about the bfr blood flow restriction mm -hmm. Generally speaking, people hate doing these new things. Yeah, well, exactly. The, the, the oh, least, least frequently thing seen done in the gym. You can do it like your own body weight as well, bench like squat to yeah. squat, bench, squat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bench press is push up, uh, pull up is pull up, yeah. overhead press is you can do like a handstand push up, uh, or later we can use the X three bar as well, which I've got, which is just like a home gym, it mimics these same movements. So the mTOR pathway, uh, it is the major growth pathway or the major growth switch in the body. And the benefits of mTOR are that it uh, promotes muscle hypertrophy, cell replication is also required for uh, neural plasticity and growth of, growth of new brain cells and uh, memory and just habit formation and those sort of things. And lastly, it's also like pretty if you want to maintain like optimal insulin sensitivity and metabolic flexibility, then you also need some mTOR because if you're constantly like in this very calorie restricted starvation state, then you become somewhat, your, your metabolism is going to slow down so much that it's become actually easier for you to get fat instead of uh, burning fat. So, you know, if your body is always already all the time starving, then it's just wants to retain the energy rather than burn it. So that's why you have to kind of switch switch it up all the time of going through like the pendulum swing of going from some some aspects of fasting into like this overly fed state so that you activate mTOR in the fed state and your body becomes sensitive to the food of okay we we're safe so to say that we we still have like the food and we we can still like burn calories and we can still build muscles so to say so you don't want to the the strategy of 
restricting your calories all the time isn't that actually that good for longevity either because your metabolism will eventually slow down. So that's why I have to kind of incorporate both aspects. But the bad side of mTOR is that if you overexpress mTOR all the time too much, then that can promote the growth of some cancerous and uh, tumor cells. It can also accelerate aging if you're already all the time growing, you know, makes sense. You're growing, growing, growing too fast. It accelerates aging. And uh, even like things like acne and skin problems can be caused by overexpression of mTOR. Uh, and so that's the thing. And the problem with mTOR is also that if your mTOR is activated, then it's, it's going to inhibit autophagy. So you're not getting the benefits of cell, cell, cell recycling. So in order to get autophagy, then you need to suppress mTOR in, in some periods, but not all the time. And the goal is, yeah, how do you balance mTOR with enough autophagy and fasting? So you want to get some of the best benefits of both. So mTOR, how does it work? The main regulators or activators of mTOR are uh, insulin and IGF-1, which comes from carbohydrates as well as protein. Uh, but just overeating calories in general can also activate insulin and IGF-1, even if it's fat. Like too much fat can also raise insulin because the body just wants to get rid of it or use it appropriately. And uh, the second most powerful regulator of mTOR is leucine, which is uh, an amino acid. And all the amino acids generally, or most of them generally, uh, raise insulin as well as activate mTOR. So leucine is the kind of most powerful one. Leucine is found in a lot of primarily is found in like animal foods, eggs, fish, meat, uh, but it's also found in some plant foods, but in like lesser quantities. And when mTOR gets activated, whether that be by insulin or amino acids, then it's gonna go down this uh, cascade of events that leads to the muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis is the phenomen phenomenon of building muscle tissue. So uh, with elevated muscle protein synthesis, your body is going to go into this building mode. And uh, whatever, there's a threshold for muscle protein synthesis. You need approximately 2.5 to 3 grams of leucine to activate muscle protein synthesis. And uh, you can get that amount from approximately like 20 to 40 grams of protein, depending on the protein source. So that's the, like the minimal threshold. Uh, per meal for activating muscle protein synthesis any less than that like if you eat only 10 grams of protein it's may it may raise mTOR a little bit it will definitely do so but it's not going to be enough to like optimize the muscle protein synthesis response so you're kind of missing out so like any any in my opinion any meal that you eat would have to be at minimum like 30 to 40 grams of protein in order to just maximize the muscle protein synthesis response because it's going to help you to maintain the muscle tissue as well as build it. So if you're eating less, if you're eating only like 10, 10 or 15 grams of protein, then you're just missing out on like the potential for maintaining muscle tissue. The mTOR highest mTOR boosting foods are here. Number one, protein powders, because it's like processed food. It's just pure protein, primarily. Uh, secondly, eggs, because eggs are pretty high in leucine and uh, they're also rich in other the all the other essential amino acids uh, and you can also think of eggs being like a very you know anabolic food similar to dairy and dairy B E is number three because like we mentioned earlier it's high in IGF-1 it's high in leucine high in protein but not, not high in protein even like 
uh, dairy isn't high in protein, it's high in like these growth factors like leucine and uh, IGF-1, but it has all the other macronutrients as well. Dairy has fat, dairy has carbs, so it's supposed to be like this very <laughs> anabolic, anabolic food gives you all the growth factors as well as it's, it's, it's pretty easier to uh, absorb or accumulate the fat from it as well because like children and calves they're supposed to gain weight really fast because otherwise they would die. So that's why this dairy is highly anabolic and uh, and growing. That's why eating fried carbohydrates is like the worst thing because uh, <laughs> you are just growing and storing fat. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, the part of it has to do with that. And uh, meat is also high in mTOR because of the amino acids, and carbs even as well can raise mTOR. Like is a lot of fear-mongering about meat is, uh, is, 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 is not true because carbs also raise mTOR <laughs> and insulin also raises mTOR so even if you're eating like a low-protein diet with a bunch of carbs like fruit, a fruit dairy and diet, just fruit then that doesn't really avoid the activation of mTOR, you're still activating it so yeah compared to carbs or if you compare carbs to meat then meat is better because meat is going to give you like the amino acids and protein being one of the most essential macronutrients you can't uh, survive for long on a low protein diet because otherwise you'll just fade away and wither away so you need the protein from from a good, a good quality source whereas from carbs you don't really need them like you you would maybe use them for energy and such but it's not like mandatory to have carbs all the time if that makes sense Uh, so again, as the same with the tapachi, it follows like a similar um, similar pattern that not enough mTOR is bad because it leads to muscle wasting and sarcopenia, but too much mTOR can also be bad because it's going to lead to cancerous and aging. So you find this optimal range of you stimulate mTOR sometimes at the right at the right dose. Uh, but also you experience periods where you're not activating mTOR and you allow your body to go through autophagy. So uh, with that, that's the component of fasting, intermittent fasting and uh, eating a proper diet in the sense that you cycle periods of fasting and then you still eat and so you get to both. Uh, IGF-1 is similar. We mentioned already that you know the benefits of IGF-1 include that it's going to strengthen your bone, heart health, uh, muscle exercise performance increases metabolism, cognition, and uh, all that that similar anabolism, and the negative side effects of too much IGF-1 going to be accelerated aging and some cancers. So if you're like <laughs> if you're uh, eating five times a day with a bunch of uh, milk and protein and carbs, then you're keeping your IGF-1 and mTOR activated all the time. So that's like an overexpression ex example of overexpression of IGF-1 compared to something like stimulating IGF-1 or mTOR only once or twice a day, then that's pretty much fine because you're doing it very infrequently and you would actually need to kind of keep yourself up to date with enough mTOR. So the eating frequency is the kind of the most important part of how, how frequently you do these things. Uh, yeah, is, is IGF-1 good or bad? Too much IGF-1 can too much IGF-1 can grow cancers, can cause acne, accelerate aging, and shorten lifespan. But the benefits of IGF-1 include that it supports muscle growth, regulates glutathione, 
which is one of your body's main antioxidant defense systems. Uh, it fights autoimmunity, improves your glucose tolerance, grows new brain cells. Uh, it has antidepressant effects and also synthesizes collagen. Collagen is like the skin and the tendons, so to say. So a low protein, low IGF-1 diet will eventually just lead to you withering away and uh, losing losing your uh, functional tissue. So yeah, you definitely don't want to restrict yourself chronically. And research has shown that the relationship between IGF-1 and mortality follows a U-shaped curve. So too little IGF-1 is also associated with increased mortality and the same applies to too much IGF-1. So the answer is again someone in the middle, the same with uh, autophagy and lemtor. Too much is bad, too little is bad, but uh, the optimal is in the middle. That looks like everything almost. So here are some situations, like some you know uh, guidelines for knowing whether or not you need more autophagy or not. So one, you need more autophagy if you're overweight, you're obese, you're pre-diabetic, you have high inflammation like you know CRP and those sort of so, uh, biomarkers, high triglycerides, high blood pressure, high insulin, IGF-1, and even if you have like food addictions or something, then I think short short-term fasting can be useful for breaking those things. Like you just afterwards, you, it can backfire in some, in some. You have to know like how to respond. Sometimes people it makes worse, but at other times it can also just help you to kind of get back to normal. So it depends on the person. But yeah, generally, like if you're inflamed, you're overweight, you have high blood sugar, you have a high IGF-1, then that's a sign that your body needs more uh, autophagy and more fasting. And these are signs that you need less autophagy and less fasting. Number one, you're physically very active, you're exercising regularly, uh, you're underweight, you're actually losing muscle or you're feeling like your bones are like very frail and uh, not, not really strong. Physical injury is also something that I wouldn't recommend to fast with. Like if you have, if you've broken, a, broken a, like a bone or something, then it's, it's, it would be better to get like the growth factors or the nutrient, the anabolic factors from eating plenty of food in order to you know, promote the healing. Mm -hmm. Because fasting itself doesn't really heal or it doesn't really grow tissue, you know, it does, it's impossible. Uh, then, like some malignancies or cancerous cells, like it's also like this black and white, it's a, it's a very gray zone in my opinion, like some research says it's good, some says it's bad, so I wouldn't like rely solely on fasting for treating some serious diseases like cancer or, or tumors, uh, because it can backfire. <laughs> so it's, it's again like more of like a preventative tool of preventing yourself from getting sick in the first place. And uh, like, I think it's pretty, it's not like that responsible to say to people that if you just fast, you can just cure cancer, <laughs> whereas in reality, it may not happen. Or, you know, I would, I would, I would take like a more of a, I would use all the different resources I have. Like I would use chemotherapy, I would use fasting, I would use keto, I would use uh, this lot of different things. In fact, there's some certain studies have shown that chemotherapy is much more effective while somebody yeah. fasting prior to that. So. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, less side effects if you're going faster than any kid else's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hypothyroidism is also a sign that your metabolic rate is uh, slowing down. And that means that 
you you would need less fasting, so to say. You you've taken too far. And uh, being pregnant or breastfeeding is something that I wouldn't recommend to do. Like some some confinement of the eating window is still good, but I wouldn't go for like any longer than twenty four hours for, without food if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. Then the elderly people as well, like people over sixty and and above. Uh, I wouldn't do like longer fasts for those people either because again like they're more predisposed to muscle loss as they get older and it's harder for them to regain that muscle so uh, it's not worth it to push it that far they can do, still do again like the compressed eating window instead of going for these longer fasts and yeah if you're underage lastly as well that can probably go some problems as well like some retardation of growth or something Yeah, 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 like 14 hours is the minimum and 16 hours is probably like also like the optimal yeah. and not, not, not longer. No longer than what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, like the minimum is 14 to 10, I think, because eating eating for 12 hours and fasting for 12 hours is that 50-50 approach. That's not like, it's not going to be enough to kind of counterbalance it because it, it always takes a bit longer longer time for you to go into a fat state than it is to exit the fit state. Mm. And especially like eating properly. Well, yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to like keto and low carb and high carb, then the best approach is yeah, some form of carb cycling that you don't have to avoid carbs. <laughs> you don't have to avoid them for the rest of your life. You can still have them. But some periods, some periods of going through periods of low carb can be beneficial for just going into deeper ketosis as well as improving your insulin sensitivity and uh, fixing fixing insulin resistance so if you're eating carbs all the time then you may become eventually insulin resistant uh, but if you're all also eating low carb all the time then that can also cause problems with metabolism carbs that you actually become insulin resistant because of just being in ketosis all the time so yeah some cyclical approach is the best way to go and that can entail like um, that can entail like eating uh, eating low carb for a few days, then having a few days of high carb or such, based upon your like activity levels and such. And I would recommend having the high, higher carb days around uh, like your physical activity. Like if you're more physically active, then your body can benefit from more carbs and it can deal with them better. Versus if you're like stuck in an airplane or being sedentary, then that's that's like the worst time to eat bagels and <laughs> and cookies. Okay, so uh, this is taken from the book, actually, the anabolic catabolic food chart. So this is like a spectrum of all the foods, uh, how they affect either autophagy or mTOR based upon like their nutrient in nutrient uh, composition. So these more autophagy boosting foods, these catabolic foods that mimic calorie restriction and they boost longevity, they include like all these. Uh, low calorie vegetables, they have more fiber, more polyphenols, they're lower in protein and they also lower your blood sugar and suppress insulin. So things like cruciferous vegetables, these different herbs and spices, berries, turmeric, cayenne pepper and uh, olives, whatever they may be, they're more like an autophagy boosting foods. They're catabolic in nature. They're not, they're not making you build muscle, if that makes sense. And the other side of the coin are these anabolic foods 
which promote mTOR, promote protein synthesis, and promote muscle growth. They have more protein, they have more amino acids, they can be higher in carbs, and they can raise insulin and IGF-1. So these are meat, eggs, fish, dairy, protein powder, carbs, <laughs> tubers, fruit, rice, etc. So these are like these growth foods that you need. And uh, yeah, on a daily basis, you can also just, yeah, uh, structure it based upon like your activity levels and such. If you're more active, then you would naturally need more mTOR boosting foods versus if you're like sedentary, then you don't need that much carbs and protein. Uh, a few additional slides of foods that mimic exercise and the idea behind exercise mimetics is that they just stimulate the same pathways as exercise does or fasting. Uh, for example, coffee is an exercise mimetic because it raises your blood pressure, increases your heart rate, raises adrenaline, uh, makes you move around more, and uh, raises your blood sugar as well a little bit. So it's almost like a it's like exercise a little bit, uh, but it's not. So you can you know if you drink coffee, you can still have like a short term in, in a short time frame. It can still have like a similar effects uh, as exercise, with with a few exceptions, of course. And other ones include. Spices, uh, apple cider vinegar, cordyceps, teas, turmeric, and uh, herbs. They uh, activate the same pathways as exercise, like AMPK and ketosis and autophagy. Uh, sirtuin boosting foods, sirtuins were the one of these longevity genes uh, that help with things like autophagy. And those foods include uh, dark vegetables, dark berries, and this dark pigment fruit, like uh, grapes and uh, that sort of thing, tomatoes as well, they have uh, essentially the, the darker the pigment, the darker the skin, the more antioxidants the food tends to have. And especially that's why like this, uh, like wild, wild herbs and wild plants tend to have more of these, uh, these sirtuin boosting compounds as well, because they're like very bitter. It's, it's called like xenohormesis. Uh, like a environmental hormesis on the plant that if a plant is growing and like in cold is exposed to like parasites is exposed to different elements then that plant also is stronger it's it's stronger because it needs to adapt to that environment uh, versus something that is grown in like a supermarket or like in a greenhouse greenhouse doesn't have like co it doesn't ha it's constantly in the sunlight it's constantly being fed etc so the so the plant on a on a molecular level is weaker, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And consuming those plants helps the body to also adapt in a certain way that if you're used to eating like wild plants, then you're getting some of the benefits from the plant as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, green tea as well as curcumin is also boosting. And wine. So doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the wine, wine, wine does have like a bit of a resveratrol, which, which is like this uh, longevity compound that activates sirtuins. Uh, but the amount of it is pretty small, so you would have to drink like quite a lot of wine <laughs> to get a get a get a therapeutic effect. <laughs> so like a like a few like a like yeah like having a like a having a glass of wine for dinner is is pretty okay. Like it's not gonna be a problem uh, and such. Actually, having it like done more people seem more encouraged for the wine investing. <laughs> yeah, actually, like, yeah, probably, yeah, like, 
yeah, like right. like pure alcohol, you know, like vodka or uh, gin. That's that's essentially also like it can boost some autophagy because of because of the ethanol and and ketosis. The Russians, the Russians were on it. Well, it's like a small mouse. It's a hormesis idea that you probably don't want to get intoxicated. But uh, you don't want to get drunk, basically. But if you if you consume this this ethanol, then that ethanol still stimulates the same pathways like AMPK, and so, because it's a small stressor, it's a small poison, you know. Mm. So it's but the amount of work that the liver has to kind of like intensify the body. Well, it can it can deal with it in small amounts. Like it's, it, you don't probably do it beyond like a few few that's few doses. That's, that's the issue when you get drunk is that your liver cannot um, get it yeah, out. So yeah, like the metabolic cathology food pyramid uh, is essentially that you eat nutrient-dense foods that have slightly less calories, but they're higher in satiety, like they're going to satiate you much more and they're going to give you like these all these essential nutrients uh, but they're not giving you this surplus of calories that makes you gain weight. So you're still able to maintain uh, optimal body composition as well as build muscle with it uh, while getting all the nutrients that you need and not feeling that you're starving. Like there's a difference between being full <laughs> from eating broccoli and meat compared to being starving because of eating like, uh, you know, waffles and pancakes. You know, with pancakes, <laughs> with pancakes, you're still getting a surplus of calories but you're not getting like the longevity boosting effects and you're not getting like the high satiety because you can yeah you can overeat on donuts and such without really feeling satisfied from it. Yes, I do eat a lot of uh, leafy greens and broccoli and cauliflower, but there's a lot of anti-nutrients that are binded on these type of foods. Um, so every time I eat them, it's like, it's great because I'm going to be full, but how do these anti-nutrients are being coped by the body? And, and because there's some people that can take it, there's some people mm. that say that it's a worse and they go carnivore. What's, what, what's your take on it? Uh, well, I think if they cause you problems, then you probably should like dial down on the amount of them because too much of it can be still bad. Like you can, you can definitely eat too many vegetables and that can cause some gut problems and such. Or even like these raw vegetable diets, raw fruitarian diets, they can definitely cause problems. So too much of it, anything is bad. Just, just do it as you need to do. It's Listen okay. to your body. <laughs> how about the cheese? I see that there is a cheese. Like how is right. the... Just I, I understand everything in moderation, of course. It goes to everything, but generally... Uh, well, I'm not... I'm not I, I, don't, I myself, I personally don't consume like a lot of dairy or cheese. Mm. Uh, because like it's not worth it, in my opinion. Like, yeah. Like the 
you know, dairy is higher in IGF-1, mm -hmm. but it's not giving you like the other like protein and such. You can get more protein, for example, from eggs or meat um, and less of the other calories that come from dairy or cheese. So it's more of like, in my opinion, it's more better to eat the meat. Some like some cheese is fine. Like cheese also has like very good uh, fat soluble vitamins and uh, vitamin K two and those things. It's also very addictive. Yeah, it's like that's that's one of the main reasons wow. that I tend to. And also like whatever you put, you put then it's bread, then it should be butter, butter. Like real butter, yeah. not like any spread. Yeah, yeah. I'm just nutrition wise. Generally. Like if you would choose between things, like you want to put like some spread on the toast. Right. It should be like a real butter, not any vegetable butter or any low fat yeah, butter yeah. or cheese uh, spread. Or yeah. what, spread what, should, what would you say? Spread should be butter and uh, the bread should be uh, keto <laughs> 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 like, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah like, yeah, I mean, yeah, butter, butter is better than margarine and the vegetable spreads because the vegetable spreads are like from, uh, you know, vegetable oils and, and canola oil and it's highly inflammatory. Versus the butter is, 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 is it, it's, it's not inflammatory, so yeah. it's better than th those processed things. And I wanted to ask, ask about um, Vegemite also. <laughs> well, I, Vegemite. I haven't tried it, but it's, I don't. I'm not. I don't recall what the mac. It's like a high carb thing, or it's yeast. It's, it's the yeast. The yeast it's the Australian. Yeah. It's the black. No, it's New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that, that's the thing with nuts. Like, well, nuts are pretty high in calories. You know, they're really high in calories, and you can easily overeat them. Like, just you know, it's a snack. It's a snack. It's a snack. It's a snack. You don't really notice how much you're eating. Uh, so that, how many she got in there? Would that be? Well, I don't know. Well, it's, it's it depends <laughs> on it depends on the person. <laughs> and which nuts nah, is the best? Is it Brazilian nuts or which one is the best if I have to choose? Uh, well, I think Walnuts. like pecans are actually the best pecans. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pe pecans have like more protein and uh, and such. So and they're the, and more weird looking they, they are, the, the walnuts are supposed to be yeah. brain uh, yeah. shapes, so yeah. it gives they're you like a brain so food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do like a lot of nuts on on a diet. I would like maybe yeah keep them, you know, every once in a while in moderation because they also may have like some. Most of the you know nuts that you get from store, they can also have molds, yeah. mold and that sort of and bacteria. Nuts, if you, if you yeah. Buy crushed nuts. Never, never buy it. You know these. You know like yeah. these chopped, chopped nuts. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's what they call. Because that's usually the 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 bad the ones where they've yeah. just cut certain bits uh, off them or whatever and they crush them up you know that part's moldy yes. that one's good crush it up sprinkle it on yeah. whatever yeah but yeah. always with the seeds rather than the nuts right uh well seeds are also problematic like the seeds can cause also like gut problems if you're them and such because like, it's a seed like um, 
That's so like, like everything, everything moderation is fine. Yeah. And if you if you don't have like a specific like a response from it, then it's fine. Uh, but I wouldn't do like a full on flexi diet or if that or like that, like a little a little bit is fine. Yeah. And with nuts, like it's better to have like some shell to nuts that you have to actually work. Yes. Like you have to like, break down the shell, you know, for crack it. Which are, like, they're the ones that have the highest amount of mold in them. Pistachio. Yeah. Pistachio. Pistachio. Because it's the nine times out of ten, the nuts already, the shells already open. Yeah. Yes. Oh, sorry, open. Yeah. 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 That they may be moldy, they may be rancid, they may be oxidized, they may be just you may overeat them. And it's and, it's salt. And so, so then it's like okay, so if I need to have that sensation of eating or whatever, because I think that's what a lot of people they mm. fall into that hab habitual mm. thing of, of snacking or whatever. Mm. It's like, is it more valuable to have like a sunflower seed or? Mm. Stuff like that, where you know what I mean. You know, people like to peel open the sunflower seeds and all that. No, because it's a, a process thing. Yeah, like that's a habitual, so habitual thing. I want to say ritual, and I, then I was going to say smoking and stuff, because nine times out of ten, it's not actually the smoke. It's the ritual. Itself. It's the, the ritual. Go, it's, I remove myself from my place of employment. Yeah. I go outside. I roll the paper. Whatever, how it goes. You know. Mm. So yeah. you have to ask yourself these questions about like, what are you? What are you? What are you trying to do? Why are you doing it? Okay, I'm getting more peanuts, pistachios, sunflower seeds. Like, what, what's mm. happening right now? Mm. Yeah. Am I really hungry? Am I really... And this is not a fear thing. But uh, it wasn't really wasn't for that. But it's like, am I really hungry? Or am I just like, is is there a reaction going on here? Or there's, is there some sort of behavioral thing going on here? Yeah. Yeah, and if you do have nuts, then like the shelled ones where you have to actually use the like nut, nutcracker and that yeah. because then you're working and then you get bored like then you get bored like oh, I'm, I don't want I don't want to do it anymore I don't need some nuts for that yeah because yeah if you just you know if you put if you just eat the nuts without the shell then you're like so easy to just put your hand in your mouth and and in the rest of the pyramid yeah like that's why like focus is on these uh more nutrient dense lower calorie foods like eggs and liver and organ meats because they're like very nutrient dense one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet and they have less calories compared to something like uh, you know cheese or olive oil to keep on going like one another question regarding porridges or leg legumes like uh, buckwheat and stuff right. like this does that uh well it's it's like a yellow I, I i i have them like every once in a while just to keep my body sensitive to it in a sense oh, yeah. like i don't want to become gluten intolerant like because of avoiding bread for the rest of my life so yeah. i want to have it in my diet every once in a while so my body could metabolize it and the same applies to like these carnivore diets like yeah you can you can get away with probably eating only meat for a long time but the reintroduction of something else that isn't meat is going to be that much more worse like you're going to break out really fast like you're gonna have to go through this re-adaptation period of reintroducing vegetables yeah <laughs> yeah so i would i would like an a, like a very flexible metabolism that is able to handle gluten lectins all these anti-nutrients as well as eggs and meat and scarves and those things is still better than this very rigid and very 
like a very uh, narrow metabolism that is only able to metabolize either like meat or only only metabolizes vegetables and uh, vegan diets, you know. can be you can fix everything into the diet yeah. uh, so to say mm-hmm. uh, and still get away with like you can still get away with cheese you can still get away with nuts you can still get away with mm-hmm. with uh, lectins etc uh, you just have to kind of know what's the cost benefit etc and uh, whether or not you can uh, still you know counterbalance it with mm-hmm. other things before, it's, it's like, like you can eat like uh, you, you can eat yeah like <laughs> Twinkies as well, uh, but and and still get all of your essential nutrients if you just take like a few pieces of liver or a few egg yolks along the side with that. It's not like the ideal diet, but it can still work. Like you can get all of your essential nutrients and protein and all those things and still eat the Twinkies. <laughs> it's at some at some point we were talking before. Like at some point it comes down to like does it uh, give more than it takes? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The big trade off. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask anyway about uh, like uh, okay food wise, but if you have any supplements, are, are you against them or would you? There are some, of course, some maybe powders you will put somewhere. That's but like what, what supplements, like um, say the word again. Supplements. Supplements. Like it's a supplement. It's a, it, you supplement. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Like like that. That's the that's the kind of the rule. Like look at all this stuff here. Yeah, if that's you where that, you should get. If them. you eat that, you do you really? I don't know if you can eat too many supplements. Yeah, right. Supplements, yeah. supplementation, yeah. additional. You know, mm. yeah. that's the way I look at it personally. Like, yeah. yeah, but you some like, for. Let's say like I'm flying. Like it's really hard yeah. to keep. 
my struggle mm. from one author to another. I have some pouches. I'm trying to keep the whatever, like make some smoothies mm. or whatever, just to. But what's the thing? Is it? Are you trying to bring nutrients into the body? Are you trying yeah, to protect just, yourself from like a very mm-hmm. kind of like just uh, everything radiation. because there's not uh, enough environment. For, right. The diet is sometimes very poor. Like my options are not great. Yeah. Not well, I think mo- most people probably still need to supplement some magnesium. Uh, because uh-huh. yeah, so that's some, some yeah, like yeah. even and in this northern climates, like vitamin D is pretty problematic. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. people need it. Uh, then some a lot of people may need like iodine. Uh, that's also pretty deficient in the in the diet supply. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you you have to kind of first of all just take the take a blood test and see what your yeah. deficiencies are, yeah. and then you can pinpoint what you actually need. For example, I supplement four thousand IUs of vitamin D because my skin doesn't get. The right. sun so easily in mm. this uh, northern uh, climate. So if I don't take it, I'm gonna get depressed in a couple of months. Yeah. Did yeah. you go and get your blood tested for that? I, I did mm. after oh it feels like crap and stuff and I don't know why and then yeah. I went and did a blood yeah. test and I had a low. Yeah. And then the doctor said hey you have to do it because um, mm. the sun's not gonna come up just for you. Yeah. True. <laughs> 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 but yeah. what is this not plus gold? Uh, uh NAD plus gold, right? Well, that's that's not like a supplement. It's it's a supplement, but it's not like a nutrient supplement. It's more of like a it's like a biohack biohacking supplement. It's a yeah NAD is a like a coenzyme molecule that helps with energy production and any other cellular process. So NAD is uh, useful for virtually anything, and the older you get. The less NAD you you have is, is becoming depleted, and things that promote NAD are like exercise, fasting, and uh, saunas, and certain foods as well, like sauerkraut, for example, or fermented foods have NAD, and as well as you get NAD precursors from animal protein and B vitamins, and even things like uh, what was it, liver. And organs they also have these NAD precursors that you, uh, help your body to create NAD. So that NAD gold is just a supplement for uh, kind of bypassing it and promoting the NAD pathway with that supplement. And it's it's a it's it's like it can be useful for some situations, but it's not like a mandatory thing. Like it's it's probably not better than exercise, and it's not better than fasting and taking saunas and such. But for someone who is like an older population. Who needs to some quick fix just to get their back, get themselves back on track? Then it's gonna be pretty useful. Mm-hmm. I myself use it for uh, for primarily for like circadian rhythms. So for example, if uh, yeah, like for you yeah. who is flying different time zones and not experiencing a lot of like uh, natural sunlight, then they may may be beneficial because NAD is uh, regulating or it's modulating the uh, circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. So uh, the sun day and night cycles. So that can be useful for kind of re re kickstarting the uh, circadian rhythm of getting it in the morning. Oh, okay. How does your diet look like for a week? Do you plan it? Do you think about it? Or <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I've tried to make it like a very low maintenance of not having to think about it that much. Yeah. So yeah, I'm eating basically uh, every day. I'm eating like some eggs and some meat, which is kind of be basically like giving me all of most of the essential macronutrients as well as the micronutrients and then I eat like some vegetables next to it like the broccoli or cabbage some tubers and those sort of things so that will be like a pretty solid diet in terms of uh, getting all the nutrients that you need and then I definitely include some organ meats 
at least like a few times a week, like a liver uh, or some heart. Those are, those are the best ones in my opinion. And some fatty fish as well, like salmon and sardines and those things, uh, like a few times a week. But on a daily basis, I'm still eating like just meats, eggs and uh, vegetables. And when it comes to carbs and those things, then um, I may have like a few days of the week or maybe like usually once a week I have like a higher carb day where I'm deliberately breaking ketosis and uh, eating the opposite of what I'm used to, like I'm eating some fruits, some tubers and uh, that sort of thing to get like, get, to get like this, uh, like a, it's, it's, it's helpful for uh, increasing your, your leptin, which is like uh, the energy expenditure regulating uh, hormone. So leptin is like, regulates your metabolic rate and such so with the carbs i can kind of spike that up and uh, speed up the metabolism as well as um yeah like just giving yourself like this uh surge of like insulin and ig1 and that sort of thing because if you are chronically in like ketosis then that can be make you it, it can become har harmful for your body to metabolize carbs you become less efficient at metabolizing carbs you're gonna lose the ability if you're only burning uh burning the vegetables and uh, fat for fuel. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that's why that's the way I, I do it. Uh, you can also do it like on a daily basis that you eat some meals of the day are, you know, uh, low carb and some meals are slightly higher carbs to kind of break the cycle. So yeah, there's several ways of uh, going about it. Do you smell? Uh, no, not really. Not really. And out of all the oils, what would you... <laughs> Any excuse to try. I hate it, I'll do it. I was the one, wasn't it? I don't care what that Australian Like, what is your preference for the oil? Well, I do maybe use some olive oil every once in a while on salads. Um, and maybe some MCT oil a little bit sometimes, but... But the coconut oil, it doesn't really... There is no. Uh, I've been reading too many. Articles. I use I use coconut oil maybe for cooking or butter as well. They're pretty fine, but I don't. I definitely don't use like the canola oil or uh, rapeseed oil and this thing. Yeah, all right. What if I rarely eat meat? What should I eat more? Uh, yeah, if you don't eat meat, then fish and uh, eggs are are better. Like yeah, like you can fish and eggs. Uh, there are, are already enough in terms of like you don't need to eat meat uh, fish and eggs are the, giving you better you know the same same amino acids mm. uh, including the other better I, I I think actually like fish and eggs are healthier than meat mm. it's you just that meat wanna, meat is more easily available or something. I want to look at um, what's this red thing called oh salmon liver no no the oh. vegetable thing what's oh. it called beetroot and then uh, spinach that as lady, lady oh, yeah. have a hard time getting the iron yeah. if you don't eat meat. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, can, you can very quickly become a slightly anemic. Yeah. I am. Yeah, so this is this is what the number one thing you should yeah. yeah. And that's that's when you would supplement, right? That's when you would start to have a look at some kind of supplement. Red wine. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like red meat, red wine, same thing. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, that's it. Well, it's when you're on a ketosis diet, like how much vegetable do you eat? Is it like half of a plate? Or? Well, I, I, uh, 
like I'm not really worried about vegetables kicking me out of ketosis. Like you would have to eat like kilo kilos of vegetables to have an effect. So mm -hmm. it's like very hard to physically do it. Yeah, because I, I was watching this video by this um, is it Dr. Burke or something because he's like really hmm. I don't know, like famous. Well, yeah, he 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 recommends it because to get like the potassium and uh, that mm. thing. So yeah. which is which is good. Like yeah, you definitely you get potassium from uh, primarily vegetables. And if you're eating like a low carb diet, that is yeah, hard to get the potassium that you need. So uh, yeah. I'm not like I'm not like obsessed about it in yeah. a sense. And some people also need a fiber for it for digestion. For sure, yeah. Like yeah, it can it can cause some problems if you're under eating vegetables. And uh, yeah, like and especially with, like with fasting, you're already eating less frequent meals. So you have to kind of make sure that the meals that you do eat mm -hmm. cover your bases, so to say. So you have less. You have less room for mistakes if you're eating only two times a day or one times a day compared to you know <laughs> eating three to five times a day you have like more opportunity to get all these different nutrients uh, but at the same time like you know uh, potassium itself matters only in relation to the other electrolytes and sodium so uh, if you're getting if you yeah if you're getting enough sodium and you are eating at least some vegetables then you're not really becoming that deficient and you have to also pay attention to the symptoms, like if you have like some uh, potassium is mainly useful for the heart mm -hmm. and the, the, the heart rhythm. So if you experience some irregular heartbeat or arrhythmia, then that can be a sign that you need more potassium. Yeah. Then, then you just increase your vegetable intake. Mm -hmm. okay. So yeah, you can get some vegetables from, you know, from cucumbers or potassium and potassium from uh, cucumbers and... Uh, vegetables and fruit and and yeah. so if you're eating like just even just a few, little bit then you can pretty much cover it okay. and even like meat yeah. meat as well actually has potassium a little bit yeah. as long as you don't overcook it so if you overcook it and over fry it and then that's it kind of loses all the nutrients so that's why it has to be somewhat you know rare rare and medium and especially like yeah the omega-3 fatty acids they can uh, definitely oxidize quite fast if you overheat them and that can be actually become harmful like if you do like a deep fried fish you know in, in England fish and chips <laughs> deep fried deep deep fried fish it's, it's pretty bad because yeah grains uh like oatmeal and uh, rice yeah and... you would have to like you can decrease the anti-nutrients with things like sprouting and soaking and that sort of thing and yeah like sourdough and fermentation those are help helpful they're better than the conventional the refined flowers those are definitely all avoid on a regular basis uh, but at the same time like and you can fit it into a daily diet even this this fermented sourdough and those things mm -hmm. but i wouldn't i wouldn't have like the regular bread on a consistent basis i would have it like maybe every once in a while just like a birthday cake or something bread, <laughs> because like it's regular bread well i mean i meant like the grains grains in general yeah yeah like 
you you can you you would still want to keep your body able to metabolize some gluten and greens and not every day yeah not every day but yeah like maybe and you know some people respond worse like some people break out for an entire month like if they eat a piece of bread then they're wiped out for like the coming weeks and they get like this really bad yeah, response really like foggy and so you have to know you have to know yeah you have to know how you respond yeah but i i think like me myself i may have like some uh, like grains maybe like once every few months like wow. something just just because i yeah just just because of the hormetic effect of uh kind of keeping my body used to it all right that's it for this episode if you want to get the rest of the videos from the biohacking bootcamp then head over to the show notes and you can become a patreon of the podcast and youtube channel it's one of the best ways of actually supporting this podcast thanks for listening my name is seem stay tuned for the next episode stay empowered